Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. We will definitely catch you then. There has been talk in the news recently about the nationalisation of general practice. You hear me right, not privatisation, but nationalisation. It's a strange sort of headline. Uh, the Health Secretary Savage Javid wrote to the Prime Minister and this letter happened to be seen and reported on by the Times newspaper. They reported on this with the headline, GPs nationalised in Javid plan to reduce hospital emissions. Let's pick this apart in today's episode of EGP Learning. Welcome, I'm Dr. Andy Foster and I'm flying solo today without Gandhi. So this episode should be punchier and shorter than usual and you may be pleased to hear that. So uh, the recent trend of hearing about government changes to general practice, not through consultation with our professional bodies, but through headlines in the mainstream media continues. And I'm sure this will have been deeply frustrating uh, for many in the audience out there who work uh, in general practice. Um, so let's have a look at the Times article. Uh, and it's a strange headline. We're talking here about nationalising general practice when the general direction of and fear with regards to the NHS is more often that people and the government might want to privatise the NHS and parts of it. It's also interesting to link this issue with the hospital admission rates, which is a current hot topic in the public psyche. Um, a first thought, some might say that this looks like an example of a government positioning a story in a big newspaper designed to distract by invoking the emotive topics of general practice, hospital pressures and national versus private delivery of public services. Uh, the timing here relative to what else is happening in the political news cycle uh, was um, interesting. But is there more of substance going on here? So I can't find the actual letter that the Times has seen. Um, I'm not actually sure that it's available in the public domain at all. Uh, but the contents have been widely reported both in the Times and um, in other areas of uh, the general media and also um, in our um, industry specific media. There'll be some relevant links in the show notes, but we've been having a look at articles in Pulse, um, also in the BMJ, um, and we'll make some reference to um, a previous partnership review by Nigel Watson a little bit later in the show today. And uh, that's also an interesting link for you to pick up on. So uh, here are some highlights from the letter via the Times article. Uh, Whilst there are some strengths to the system of primary care, it's also clear that historic separation of general practice from the wider healthcare system as created in 1948 comes with considerable drawbacks, including an underinvestment in prevention. So that's one of the things uh, reported in the article. Uh, there will be an independent review to consider the future of primary care, examining workforce, business models, and how GPs work with other parts of the NHS, such as hospitals. Um, and also reported is that there would be no 
forcible state takeover of general practices, but the GPs would be offered incentives to be employed by hospital trusts. Um, so, uh, so what might the underlying drivers here be behind this article uh, and this call for an independent review as described? Uh, so, first of all, is this part of the agenda of an increased uh, desire for control over general practice by the government and the Department of Health? So it's been interesting. Um, during the pandemic era, the government has frequently made considerable asks of the health service and general practice to make big changes at very short notice, such as changing consultation models almost entirely to telephone and remote models, and then back to face-to-face -to -face again, and adding additional capacity at short notice for consultations and vaccinations, and also being able to demand these things with less involvement from the GPC or other professional bodies than would normally be the case. Uh, traditionally, in normal times, it has been much slower to change things in general practice, which is sometimes bad, but also sometimes a positive. It's important that changes are well thought out, um, engagement is wide, and that change is sure-footed and evidence-based. Um, Talk of direct nationalisation and control through NHS trusts could be perceived as a move uh, in the direction of more direct and centralised control, uh, which might have advantages for central government. That being said, we are assured that there is no forcible takeover in uh, in the offings for general practice organisations, uh, but there is talk of incentivization to work with hospital trusts. Um, if this is the intention, um, then we are seeing only the thin end of the wedge for the moment, I fear. Um, so next to be considered, is this a genuine attempt, an opportunity to encourage more investment in preventative medicine to reduce avoidable hospital admissions and disease burden? In the headline, we talk about reducing hospital admissions. So that seems to be part of the considerations here. The benefits of focusing resources upstream of hospital admissions and onto the sorts of community services and activities that prevent disease and all the associated suffering for patients and higher costs for the health service are well understood. It's one of the beauties of general practice and investing in general practice in the case is often uh, brought to bear when we are arguing for more resources in general practice. But it has historically proven really difficult to shift resources to invest in these sorts of preventative interventions. It can be difficult to prize resources out of hospital trusts to give to these activities, uh, which would often take place in other organisations such as general practice and community providers and not be delivered by the hospital trust themselves. It may also be a difficult leap for commissioners to place trust in the many small private partnerships that run general practice to deliver these interventions successfully and for them to be able to evidence activity and outcomes across the large number of small organisations that are involved and to be assured that everybody is doing what they should with the money. Um, I fear this has often held previous efforts uh, to invest in these activities back. Um, might the integration of hospitals and general practice under one organisational budget make it easier to shift funds and to invest funds in prevention? Possibly. But the new general practice departments in trusts would still be just one of many other divisions, all making a case for limited resources. In addition, running general practice is different to running a hospital department, and NHS trusts have a lot of other priorities to deal with. It's not automatically the case that they would be the best people to run primary care. And finally, is this actually just another response to the long-term problems with the GP partnership model? Uh, the Wolverhampton example given in the article and in the letter 
uh, is that of a trust running multiple GP surgeries. And this seems to have arisen after the surgeries involved have struggled to recruit GP partners to hold the GP contracts and to replace the retiring ones. We talk frequently about this on eGPU Learning. Uh, the partnership model feels to many GPs, particularly newer GPs, to be out of a different era and in need of updating. GP partnerships certainly made sense in the 1950s uh, for a few doctors to come together to share a receptionist and a practice nurse and some premises in order to look after their patient list more effectively. Surgeries never went out of business and the liabilities involved were low. Now partnerships have uh, big mortgages sometimes, sometimes have fixed term leases on expensive properties. Uh, they employ lots of people or with modern employment entitlements absolutely correctly um, and these organizations can be shut down in short order by cqc um, and other circumstances leaving the partners with unlimited personal liabilities and sometimes at the risk of losing their homes and bankruptcy this is rare of course but partnership looks less and less attractive to newer gps than it once did from the perspective of a general and independent review leading to recommendations on GP ownership and the provider models. Um, this sort of review would be welcome, but it does feel like we've been here before. In 2019, the Department of Health published a review led by Nigel Watson into GP partnerships, and this did lead to some sensible recommendations around some key issues. I'll share the, the links to this report um, in the show notes, but the key areas of recommendations were reducing the risk and increasing the flexibility of the GP partnership model. Uh, limited liability partnerships, for example, were part of these suggestions. Um, increasing the GP workforce, increasing the range of roles used to deliver care through general practice. And this has partially been delivered, I believe, through primary care networks, which are mentioned in the report. Um, increasing time in G general practice during medical training, uh, reducing the heavy workloads and the number of patients seen per day and giving general practice a strong voice at system level. So in a way, it feels like we've been here before and progress might have been made following the Watson report were it not for the pandemic and other big issues um, occupying the political landscape like Brexit. So to summarize, it's an interesting article worth reading and following up on some of the links that we'll be providing in the show notes, but uh, perhaps what we really need to do is cut to the true underlying issues uh, that face and threaten general practice, address these, and perhaps follow through on some of the previous work and reports um, done in the past, rather than necessarily embark on a new, fresh review and start the cycle all over again. So, what do you think of the prospect of nationalising general practice? Please let us know in the comments. I'm sure we'll have lots more to discuss on EGP Learning when the new report is finally published. But for now, thanks, and we will catch you again soon. Oh, hello there, EGP Learner. I'm Dr. Gandalf and I often get asked, what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS? Because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr. Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right. If you use EMIS, but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it?
And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, to tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash tpp s1 course.